Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Fred Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Writer Squatran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. So Jacob is busy at the virtual South by Southwest Film Festival. So he will hopefully join us next week to talk about those films. Um, but we have a lot to we have a lot to discuss. I haven't been on this podcast, uh, the, the Water Cooler podcast, in two episodes, three episodes. It's been a while, so it's good, good to be back. Uh, I was doing some traveling for Ordinary Adventures. We went to Florida to cover some stuff at Walt Disney World, and uh, that those videos are up now on, on that channel, or some of those videos are up now on this that channel. Uh, but, uh, recently, even more recently when I got back, um, I've been attending all these like, uh, in Southern California because theme parks were not allowed to be open, which is something that just recently changed. Uh, all the theme parks have like started these food festival events. Same thing that like Knott's Berry Farm has been doing where you go into the theme park, the, the rides are closed. There's some characters, but it's mostly about, uh, you know, you getting to eat food. Uh, I went to not the taste of boysenberry festival, which is their big event every year is the boysenberry festival. I'm not sure if you guys know this, but uh, Walter Knotts is basically, he wasn't the guy that invented the boysenberry. There was another guy that invented the boysenberry, which I think his last name was boysen. Um, what a coincidence that he invented the boysenberry and it was same, same as the last name. But anyways, <laughs> uh, Knotts was the first to bring it to public market in a big way, and he sold it on the side of the road in Southern California, uh, outside of his farm, and eventually, you know, opened this chicken dinner restaurant, which uh, his wife used to make uh, fried chicken, and it became so popular that they he built this whole ghost town that became an attraction on its own just for people waiting in line for the chicken dinner restaurants, and then became this whole theme park. Anyways, uh, every year at Knott's Berry Farm, they celebrate 
the boysenberry with the boysenberry food festival and it's my favorite uh food event at theme parks every year it's all the dishes or most of the dishes have boysenberry in some way it could just be a small way where they have like a boysenberry mustard or a, you know or it could be a big way of like you're dipping you know uh I guess they, they they have like fried macaroni and cheese balls that you're dipping into boysenberry sriracha uh, sauce and stuff like that. But they had a wow. I just gotta say, all this sounds terrible. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's alarming me. This this whole conversation is. Have you ever? Do, do you not like no. boysenberry, Chris? I I I guess I don't think like, I'm sure I've had it once, but I can't remember what. But I'm just picturing like jam. And like dipping <laughs> macaroni in jam just sounds disturbing to me. I don't, I don't know. know. It's good stuff. They also introduced for the first time ever, they collaborated with Dipping Dots, the ice cream of the future, to have a boysenberry Dipping Dots, which you can only buy at Knott's Berry Farm. And it was amazing. Anyways, all the food we had was pretty good, except for one item. Uh, the video's up. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But also this past week, I went to... Universal Studios in Hollywood opened their doors for the first time in over a year to have their Taste of Universal event. Um, I'm not sure where they got that name. It seems like they copied it from Knott's because they've been doing Taste of Knott's events uh, this past year. Um, and it's the same kind of thing where you pay it uh, for a ticket. It's like 45 to $55, depending on which day you're going, which of the day of the week you're going. And you get five tastings. Uh, I will say this, that the food at Knott's is generally much better than the food at Universal. Universal doesn't have great food, uh, aside from like Wizarding World and uh, a couple of the new eateries. Uh, but it was it was fun. It was worth the ticket. I think it sold out for the entire month of March. And it seems like all the theme parks in Southern California are starting to to, you know, move their gears into the reopening mode because they're allowed to open April 1st. I think today the news was that Disneyland is opening in April 30th. So, uh, but tomorrow, I'm, I'm not going to be here for the podcast tomorrow because tomorrow they are having the opening day of the Touch of Disney. You know, Dis- Disney decided to change change the first word a little from knots so that they're, they don't look like they're copying it en- enough. And uh, they're opening Disney California Adventure for a food festival. And I'll, we'll have a video up on Friday for that. Uh, but that's, I, I mean, I've been busy with a lot of that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, not much else. I I'm I know you guys were talking last week about getting shots or preparing to get shots or Brad being frustrated of the shot situation. Um, and uh, I, 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 my shot, I, I did get a schedule. I'm, I'm going to be getting my shot on March 25th. So what is that? A week from now? A little over a week from now. So I'm, I'm excited to get vaxxed. Uh, but Brad, last week on the podcast, you were talking about how frustrated you are with your state and the process of getting the vaccination. Uh, but it sounds like you actually, you, you found someplace? Yeah, I had to take matters into my own hands, uh, essentially. Um, and I just fought everybody and stole a bunch of shots. No, I... Uh, <laughs> um, it was, um, I had already started looking into like the wait lists at certain pharmacies and grocery stores that have pharmacies and things like that. And the wait lists were very long and they weren't, re- you know, reaching the, the areas that would have applied to me, not just because of age, but even certain like comorbidities. And so just waiting to hear that happen. But then I found out um, that certain areas 
were taking calls from people at the end of the vaccination day to claim the extra doses that come from because of how the vials are used. Um, depending on how many shots are given at any, a given location, there are usually a few extra doses of the vaccine available at the end of the day that haven't been taken by an appointment slot. And you can call at um, a certain time, depending on what location. And if it's first come, first serve, if you get in and then you say, ask if they have any extras, they'll tell you. And then you just have to get in there essentially within the hour as soon as possible to get in and get your shot. And so both my girlfriend and I were lucky enough to call in on the day when they had two extra doses and we got there quickly and went through the process. And so we now both have our first uh, COVID shot and we'll get the second one um, in early April. I'm, I'm so jealous. It seems like here in California, I've tried to do that, Brad. And it just seems like everybody's like, so like it, it's like the hardest ticket to get in California is to get that vaccination shot. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's way crazier over there. It's, it's probably a lot easier here since I live in a much, much smaller town. HD, <laughs> uh, what have you been up to? Uh, I appeared on the most recent episode of Slash Filmcast to review Raya and the Last Dragon. I'm always happy to be uh, to talk movies with that crew, even though last time I kind of had was on the uh, sinking ship with Wonder Woman 1984. But uh, this one was a lot of fun to talk about and to speak about the uh, issues of Southeast Asian representation and some of the failures of representation in that movie, uh, which I also talked about in an NPR interview that I forgot to plug last week. Whoops. <laughs> but yes, I appeared on NPR uh, to talk about the issues with casting uh, largely South, uh, largely East Asian actors in the uh, main speaking roles of Ryan Last Dragon with Kelly Marie Tran being kind of the sole uh, high build actor to in in the movie. And um, I actually... <laughs> I didn't listen to the entire thing because I was a little bit nervous about how I sounded. So if anyone who listened to it uh, and said, uh, said and uh, thought it was good, yeah, please let me know because I, I need that validation. I um, listened to it, HT, and it was good. <laughs> okay, great. But um, in that conversation with the NPR host, Rachel Martin, uh, I did speak about um, yeah some of the failings of representation in uh, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon and my disappointment with it, especially in uh, light of... Uh, I don't know if this is a part of the conversation that got into the final product, but in light of like, anti-Asian violence that has been ongoing since the beginning of the pandemic uh, and a lot of, and how Southeast Asian people especially need that kind of visibility, uh, especially in because a lot of Southeast Asian people have been unduly targeted in this uh, spate of uh, anti-Asian violence. And I just wanted to uh, give a um, a mention to the, a uh, particular egregious, particularly egregious act of anti-Asian violence that took place uh, yesterday in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, just wanted to put that. Sorry to bump everyone out, but I just <laughs> wanted to give a mention to that, especially because I'm I've been talking about Asian representation a lot lately, and especially with Raya, so uh, it's just been on my mind, and I wanted to, you know, get, talk about it a little bit, and that's that's my piece. Yeah, I, I want to see Raya, but I don't want to pay that thirty dollars. <laughs> I would say it's worth the $30. I know, but like, I'll be so mad at myself, HT, if like in three weeks it's on Disney Plus for, for I want to say free because I'm paying for Disney Plus, but you know, it's, it's included in Disney Plus without the $30. <laughs> 
Well, Peter, and this is something that's not going to apply to our listeners, but you do have access to screeners, I think, through Disney Plus. And I, I thought I got access to the screener, Raya. like for the junket, yeah, it, and then it expired. So I yeah, it expired. Yeah, because I made sure to watch mine before it expired. But Peter. <laughs> Think about this. How much money did you spend trying to find a black kyber crystal? And don't, don't you think you could spare $30 to watch a good movie? Fine. Fine, Brad. Fine. It, it, it's also weird. I feel... I know, HT, you're, you're a big part of this conversation about Raya, around Raya and stuff, and that's great. But I do feel like this, this, this hurdle of a $30 price tag has made it so it's not like a big conversation around this movie where it should be kind of my thought too i haven't talked about it a lot but it feels like disney has somewhat buried ryan the last dragon despite it being this big bastion of southeast asian uh, representation the first southeast asian movie that disney has done and i feel like there's been a lot less marketing and a lot less just chatter around raya in the weeks leading up to the release and kind of crickets in the after in the aftermath of its release so that's just my own personal thought uh i think dave chen has a similar (laughs) thought too we talked about this recently so yeah it's a it's weird i mean it's not like disney has been doing that with a series of films uh with representations of different like you know mulan and their first uh african-american pixar film yeah (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It seems, yeah. They're in a weird situation. Like, I don't know. It, it, I can't imagine what it's like to be in that executive room of being like, we have this content in in the can. Should we wait until theaters recover or should we use it as a loss leader to get people to Disney Plus? But it does feel weird that the stuff that they're dumping seems to be have some similarities. Oh, no. Yeah. They're all POC led. <laughs> yeah. In some way. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, another thing I want to mention. I, I got invited to this. I wanted to hear what you guys thought of this because I got invited to this Godzilla versus Kong screening that was in LA. It was a it was a drive-in movie theater thing, but it wasn't like at a drive-in movie theater. It was like at this like drive-in movie theater that they built in a parking lot. And it happened last night. I don't think reactions have come out because they're embargoed to a later point. But I actually said no to it because I didn't want to watch the movie. Like, they were kind of promoting it. Warner Brothers was promoting it as, like, see the movie on the big screen the way it's intended. And I don't know. I don't want to see the movie with, like, the sound coming out of my car speakers. Do you guys have any opinions on this? Like, would you have chosen differently? Brad, what what do you think? Uh, I mean, that's... The car, car speaker is. I, I guess it depends on how good your car is. <laughs> I mean, like, like I feel like car stereos are, are pretty good nowadays. And I don't know. Maybe I've just been spoiled by the fact that usually when I go to the drive-in, I I typically uh, hop in my my parents, and they have like a pretty uh, a pretty decent minivan that has a good sound system. So I don't really have have a an issue there. But yeah, I mean, some I guess some cars maybe aren't as good. Chris, would you just wait the extra? What is it? A week? or two for it to come on HBO. I think it is. Uh, right? Probably. I, I don't want to, I just don't want to sit in my car that long. You know, it's like you sit in a car for like, it's, I don't know how long the movie is. I guess two hours. And I also, I don't know. I, whenever I go to a drive, there is a drive in here. Um, I don't go there that often, but I usually like rent a radio at the counter just because what the one time I went, I tried to use my speakers and even though the car was not on, it was in that like whatever half off position. 
it still like drained my battery and I had to get like a jump start. I don't know. So I, ever since then I've been like hesitant to like use my car radio. So I usually just rent this shitty little radio they give me at this drive-in. So no is the answer. I would not bother with this problem. By the way, I don't want to come off as anti-drive-in. I, I think there is a place for a drive-in when like it's a movie you've seen before or I don't know. It, or crap. If you're going to see like, like, oh, this is going to be crap. You can go to a drive. But this is also not a big screen. Uh, ben, have you seen the pictures of the screen? Like how? Yeah, I have. Well, yes. how, what would you? What would you have done? No, I absolutely would have waited. I'm just. I think, and and you know, for some people, like the novelty of seeing the thing a little bit sooner would outweigh the comfort of the experience. But I'm. I don't know if it has to do with age or what. But I'm just like at a point in my life where like I value comfort over you know, exclusivity or whatever, like, you know, if there's, if it means waiting a week for like a more comfortable experience, I think for most things, I would probably do that um, almost across the board. Yeah. Speaking of age, HT, you're the young one here. What would you have done? Would you have gone out in your car or would you have waited a week to see it at home? Well, as a New Yorker, I don't have a car. So this is a, a conversation that I can, I'm probably a little bit out of, but I still have the novelty of of um, going to drive-in theaters. I never really had a drive-in theater around me growing up. So I went to one for the first time during COVID. And uh, so that was exciting for me. And also it was a movie I'd seen many times before. So the sound and uh, visual issues didn't bother me but um yeah i don't know <laughs> i think it's still the novelty of it is still exciting and seeing a movie actually outside and in on a big screen so to speak would still be exciting enough to bring me out if i had a car if you had a car i wonder how they would handle doing an event like this in new york well i guess you can't do it because it's it's probably cold there right now right it is it was really warm like two weeks ago <laughs> and last week and then suddenly it's dropped down to 20s again and i hate it like no one has a car there like i don't know how they would even handle that they, they probably that's probably why they didn't even do it there so <laughs> okay uh let's move on let's talk about some some stuff that we actually did see and what we we have been watching uh chris and ben have finally seen it they have seen the snyder cut and i know we are gonna have a big spoiler discussion about this next week so we don't want to get into any spoilers people have not seen this but I, I do want to get your brief reactions, your brief, like, spoiler-free reactions. And uh, Chris and Ben, I, I think you both are on the same page. It didn't seem like you were eager, eagerly anticipating this. So, C- Chris, what did you think? I <clears throat> I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. And I've said this before, but I, like, I don't go into any movie, like hoping to hate it you know i didn't go into the snyder cut being like Haha, i hope this is terrible like i wanted it to be good i was nervous it wouldn't be just because i'm not a big Zack snyder fan and the theatrical cut of justice league was you know crappy to begin with and you know all you know the years of hype and the years of the you know the fans acting the you know certain fans acting the way they did just sort of like soured me on the idea but you know i go into every movie with an open mind and uh, I, I, I came away from this liking it a lot more than I expected to. Uh, it has a lot of problems. Uh, I, I have a full review up on slash So please everyone read that. Um, but I do think it's an interesting experiment. It's a movie that deserves to be seen. I, while, you know, not everything in the movie works, I do appreciate 
what Zack Snyder was going for here. And what I really think he's going for here is not a superhero movie. He's really trying to make a fantasy epic that's like Lord of the Rings, you know, down to how long the movie is. It's a four hour movie. And he's he's trying to make this big mythic fantastical uh adventure you know where where mighty beings and humans and they all come together to to stop this uh ancient evil that's trying to take over the land and you know it's it's very lord of the ringsy so again there there are things that really do not work in this and i don't think it needs to be four hours long i honestly think if he had cut this down to like two and a half hours I would be saying like this is a really good movie, but because it's it's four hours, I can only say it's a it's an interesting movie. It's not uh, fantastic, but it's it's a lot better than I was expecting, and you know that that's more than I expected to say. So it's definitely worth checking out at least once. And even though it's very long, I got to say the um, the way it's presented, it has these chapter breaks. I think there are like six chapter breaks, maybe more. I can't remember. But that actually makes it kind of easier to watch. Like if you can't watch it in all one sitting, and I, I couldn't, I watched it over two days. The, those chapter breaks kind of make it easy to like, it's kind of like built in intermission in a way. Like, all right, I can stop right here because uh, this section of the movie has stopped. So yeah. Ben, what did you think? <laughs> uh, almost identical uh, to you, Chris. <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, for years and years and years, we've been hearing about this and reporting about this and just like the, um, the collective weight of the discussion around this thing uh, wore so heavily on me that for a long, long time, I was just sort of against this thing uh, on a on a principle level. But as it got closer, I think I, I um, realized that it was unfair to view the movie through that lens. And I, I pushed all of that stuff to the side and just tried to engage with this as a, you know, as a thing on its own terms. And uh, I think it, it actually works. Um <laughs> I'm I'm shocked to even hear myself say this, but it, yeah, it works way better than I thought it was going to. And and like you said, the, the word interesting is the most uh, apt um, descriptor of this whole experience because this is like unprecedented as far as I know. Um, nothing has ever happened in quite this way before. We've seen director's cuts, obviously, but never uh, under these type of circumstances. And um, I went back and rewatched the theatrical cut of Justice League before I uh, watched this just so I could have that movie fresh in my head because I had not seen it since the theaters. And I really hate that cut of the movie. And this one is, uh, you know, say what you will about Zack Snyder, but this is night and day way, way, way better than the theatrical cut. So um, I'm not sure that it's super fair to compare a two-hour movie to a four-hour movie. Um, and like... Chris, you were saying, you know, if, if Snyder had been able to cut this down into two and a half hours, you might be saying, oh, this is actually really good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible for for him to make a good movie out of this material uh, cut down to that length. I think the the four hour runtime, as ridiculous and borderline obnoxious as it is, um, is actually like a, a vital component to the reason that it works so well. And it, it really kind of puts it in a different playing field than a lot of other movies because you can't you know, you could say, uh, it, it, pick a movie, pick a, a widely derided movie. If that film had the opportunity to present a four hour version, it might work, you know, way better than the theatrical cut did too. So it's kind of tough to like, it's like an apples and oranges scenario when you try to compare this to, to things. I've seen people 
you know, breathless Twitter reactions and stuff, calling this a masterpiece, like the greatest superhero movie of all time. <laughs> no, like, Jesus no, no. Christ. Like, all right, tone it down a little bit. This is nowhere near that. Um, so please don't set your expectations that high. But I think it's overall a mixed bag. There's some really sort of pure Zack Snyder obnoxious stuff in here. But there's also a lot of stuff that works way, way better than it has any right to. I feel like the closest example I can think of of something that's like this would be Kingdom of Heaven, Ridley Scott's movie, where it had a theatrical cut and then on on DVD and Blu-ray, it got this much longer director's cut. And in, it's like a completely different movie. And the director's cut is like the superior version. Like it has whole new subplots that are nowhere in the theatrical cut. Uh, so like that's like the closest example I can think of anything that comes close to this this approach. But I also feel like Kingdom of Heaven is a better movie. So <laughs> that's that's that. Well, I'm very interested to see this. The I, I, I have been saying all along that Zack Snyder, his history with director's cuts or the cuts that they put out on home video have traditionally been better than the theatrical releases, which are cut down, you know, significantly. It seems like, you know, Warner Brothers allows him to film these like really long versions of the movie. And then they're like, oh, we need to fit this in a two and a half hour time slot in a theater. You know, I don't know why we didn't tell you this beforehand. And I'm not sure why this happens every single time we do it. But can you can you get it down to two and a half hours? And it's like, sure, you can. And it ends up being not as good because it's if you take any story and you cut it down, usually it's not as good. But um, I, I'm. I'm now more intrigued to see this because I know you guys, I, I'm not saying that you guys went in to hate it because I know that you guys uh, are not like that, but I, I felt like there was a sense of dread of <laughs> of this coming and uh, <laughs> especially. I mean, yeah, like, I, I, you know, I was dreading, <laughs> I was definitely dreading it because like I said, I don't, I don't love Zack Snyder and even when he does kind of get to do what he wants to do. Like, I think like Batman V Superman is a good example of this. Like that had director's cut. And I honestly think the director's cut is terrible. It's just as bad as, as a theatrical version. I think so it's slightly better. I would. No, <laughs> it's not at all, Peter. It's a terrible movie, but this is, you know, of all the superhero movies Zack Snyder has made so far, this is the one I like the most. I do not like man of steel. I know a lot of people like that movie. I think the only thing good about that movie is, the soundtrack, which is amazing, but the movie itself, shit, total I shit. This, this is like the best superhero thing Zack Snyder has done. So that that's that's what I think. Yes, even better than his Watchmen movie, which is also bad. So Ben, I, I have to ask you since since Chris made that comparison, how does this compare to his superhero catalog? Man, it gets back to what I was talking about, where it's really tough to compare something that is this sprawling to, <laughs> you know, something like Man of Steel, which had those same, those sort of like studio mandated restrictions on it that this movie does not have. Um, uh, Just say I'm right, Ben. Come I, on, I need this. <laughs> it's, it's tough, man. I, I really don't know, Peter. I don't think I can answer that yeah. question. Um, I, I think there is... God... I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Put me okay. on the spot. We'll, we'll come back to this on our spoiler discussion because I'm sure we're going to have a lot to discuss. We're going to do this next week, probably on Monday. Um, we're going to have a lot of I, I've heard some things about this movie and there's going to be some conversations going on. So you're not going to want to miss that. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about the big Joker scene. You can't wait to hear about that, people. It's going to be amazing <laughs> to talk about that. Okay. 
let's move on. Uh, what have I been watching? I did get to see the first episode of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. This is the the new show on Disney Plus set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it stars uh, the, the two characters, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, it's I know, I know um, that uh, Jacob talked about this last week, so I'm not going to bore you with too many details. But I, I will say that this does feel. Uh, more like a Marvel movie than WandaVision. And uh, it, that, that comes from a person who loved WandaVision and loved how different and interesting it was. And uh, when I said this on Twitter, in our social uh, embargo, uh, some people took that as like me slamming either WandaVision or me slamming Falcon and Winter Soldier because I actually, I don't know, after the first episode, I, I really, really am into the first episode. Uh, it, it just feels like a di- it feels more in line with what we got from the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, in terms of like that. The, the, no spoilers here, but the show has this action set piece in, in the first half of the episode that feels nothing like I've seen of anything on TV. Like it really feels like a big Marvel set piece. I'm not saying the choreography is as good as the Russo brothers or or whatever, but like it's just it goes so big that it's and it's so ambitious that you have to admire it. And it it's without compromise. Usually when stuff like that happens, it's like agents of shield or the CW shows and the special effects are horrible. Uh, no offense to anybody who likes those things, but I, I don't know. I, I, I was just kind of like, this is so cool that we could get an experience like this on the small screen in a, a, a TV show. Uh, that said, I do think that this, people that did like WandaVision for the character stuff will like this because this is kind of like a sequel to Winter Soldier in in ways and I think what Marvel is doing with these with these Disney Plus TV shows is very interesting because in the movies you only get a certain amount of time to deal with like these characters on a human level and then you got to fast forward to the action and these shows are really getting into the weeds of things and able to get you to care about these characters in a, in a greater depth. Like we're, we're dealing with, obviously we dealt with winter soldier and what Bucky went through with Hydra in, in the movies, but we really didn't get into how much of a toll that has had on him as a person and what Falcon has been going through. Uh, you know, he's, he's a prominent black uh, superhero in this world and coming out of the blip. Uh, it, I don't know. It, there's a lot of interesting things here, and I'm very excited to watch more episodes. And I'm I'm happy to report that I I really really dug this quite a bit. So um, that uh, does that come out this Friday? Yeah, it comes out t- tomorrow, or I guess tomorrow night. And uh, yes. we we are planning on doing. Ooh, I got excited there for a second because I thought tomorrow was Friday. Thanks a lot, Peter. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> he does this like once a week in our slack channel he's like at least tomorrow is friday i have no concept of time i don't know what day it is um but yeah i think we're planning on doing a spoiler discussion uh at least a, 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 at least around the first episode i'm not sure if we're going to be doing the same mandalorian wandavision thing that we had committed to we'll see we'll probably will but we'll see um and uh what else did i watch i I watched um I wanted to watch Coming to America the the sequel Coming Number 2 America which is on Amazon and I, I mentioned that and I went to go put it on and Ketra was like oh I've never seen the original and I was like what 
you've never seen Coney. She's like, I've, I've seen like little clips of it on TV and stuff. I've never seen it. So we had to watch the original coming to America, uh, coming T O America. I hate this guys. I hate like, I, as much as I love that title and how clever it is. I hate that. Like, we can't just like say Halloween and then you know what I'm talking about, which movie I'm talking about. It's like annoying to me, <laughs> but, um, okay. So, uh, coming to America, I, I haven't seen this movie in so many years and i i was expecting for it to not hold up in ways i thought i thought there was going to be some stuff but it, it it for the most part really holds up it's a it's a good movie and it's it's kind of amazing that like and i i think the movie couldn't be made today uh for many reasons but <laughs> as its structure is interesting because it, it's a romantic comedy that the people don't meet for the first time until 45 or 50 minutes into the movie, which is kind of crazy. Um, I don't know. I, 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 a hot take coming to America is actually a good comedy that you should check out. Um, I, so we did watch coming the number two America. And I know Brad talked about this last week and he seemed to like it a lot more than me. I felt like the plot of this was just way convoluted. Uh, so much of it was not funny. It, it rang to me. Like when I hear people say like that Mandalorian is too fan servicey or something like that, this felt too fan servicey to like, I'm not even sure there's fans that appreciate the, the like little (laughs) nods that some of this film sometimes gives. Like in the first film, there's like these homeless people. I'm not spoiling the film in any way, but in the first film, there's a a bunch of homeless men that were, I guess they were in one of um, Landis's previous movies, what trading places, I think. And like, there's a mention to them and there's like a whole plot point with them in this movie. And it's like, did anybody care about the homeless men that were in the, the first movie for like five seconds? I mean, it's not like it's a huge plot point. It's more of just like a fun Easter egg in the beginning. And it's yeah. like, it's the same size as the one in the first one, which is just an amusing crossover. I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of things like that. And I don't think that the story of uh, having his long lost son come to uh, what what is the country, Brad? I'm forgetting. Zamunda. I was going to say Wakanda. But it's like <laughs> uh, Zamunda. Zamunda. Uh his long lost son coming to Zamunda. Like, I don't think that's as interesting as a King having to hide like his royalty and going to queen. I don't know. That that story was just so much more interesting. And I agree with you, Brad, there isn't the chemistry between the two leads. Isn't quite there. I don't know. It just feel, I don't know. I, 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 I'm glad that you liked it, Brad. I'm wondering if, if I would have had a better reaction to this, if, if I didn't have, I didn't, watch it immediately following rewatching the first one and seeing how good that one was. But, um, but it's there, it's on Amazon if you want to watch it. So, um, what else have I been watching? Oh, I watched, uh, assembled the making of WandaVision. This is a one hour special on Disney plus. This is uh, on the making of the WandaVision series as a whole. By the way, it seems weird to me that, that Disney plus introduced this whole Disney gallery series for Mandalorian, which seemed to me that like, that was going to be like their like title for their making of, of all their like Disney plus shows. And then they, they change it with the, with one division. 
So are, are they just going to use Disney Gallery for the Star Wars shows? That doesn't seem like it fits the Star Wars shows. I don't know. I, I, I feel like Marvel probably wanted their own thing because it, it works so well with their brand to call yeah. it assembled and, and use it with all their different shows that they'll maybe they'll still end up being the Disney Gallery brand for other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, th- this is if you liked WandaVision, this is a must see. It's, it's so interesting to see how they were shooting the i mean it's all the stuff that we've talked about on the podcast in the past it's not like any huge revelations but seeing them shooting that first episode in front of a live studio audience and actually getting to see the set design and color because you only see it in black and white in that episode um seeing how they were shooting everything with like the lenses of the era and i don't know how it all comes together and also it's i don't know some people were like wondering like did the cast and crew of the show think that everybody was going to have like all these theories and stuff like that and there's like one moment in the show i think elizabeth olsen is on set i think shooting the first episode and she's like saying how she's excited to see the fan theories so so clearly they knew that that was coming maybe not to the level that it it, it came but um out if you if you have seen the Mandalorian, the uh, Disney Gallery Mandalorian specials, and you like that. Uh, it's edited in the same way and has kind of the same uh, excitement to it. Like you feel like you're on set watching some some of it being made. It, do you get any like drama? Is there anything like you know insightful? Not really, but uh, I would. In the one disappointment I would say about it is it doesn't really get into the weeds of of. Uh, production dur- during COVID. I, th- I think that would have been interesting because that shut down production and then they had to restart in, in California. And I, I think they, they could have gone more into that, That, w- but I'm sure they didn't want to have any negativity in this thing because it's Disney. But um, yes, that's assembled the making of WandaVision and that is on Disney plus check it out. Chris, what else have you been watching? Uh, I got to see the first 13-ish minutes of the new Mortal Kombat movie because I uh, was on a um, uh, a media event, a, a roundtable interview with, with the director, Simon McCoy. And uh, I wrote about all this on SlashFilm.com, so I encourage you all to go read it. But um, the first 13 minutes, pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very, very violent movie. Um, which is fitting since the games are, are so violent. And uh, you know, the original Mortal Kombat movie, which came out in the 90s, had a PG-13 rating, so it it toned down the, the blood and gore. But uh, this one is R-rated, so they're really leaning into that that R rating to the point where it's almost like overdone. Like in the first 13 minutes, there's like a big fight sequence and people get like stabbed a lot and the blood that flies out of them is like, it's more blood than humans have in their body. So it, it's going to be a little, uh, it's going to take a little getting used to, I guess <laughs> when I, but um, uh, you know, it, it's hard to talk about the movie as a whole. Cause like I said, it's only the first few minutes, but I, I liked what I saw so far. Um, I do think the movie has a little, it's, it's, it's taking itself a little too seriously, I guess is how I would, I think of it. Like the, the opening scene, it's in like the 1600s and it shows, scorpion and sub-zero before they become scorpion and sub-zero but they're they still have a rivalry and then they're fighting and it's it's doing some things that like a lot of 
tentpole franchises do that I don't think they need to do in that it's it's giving us backstories of things we don't need. Like you literally learn the backstory of that rope hook thing that flies out of Scorpion's hands. And I'm and a part of me is like, I don't really need to know where that came from. Like I, I just accepted that he has a hook rope in his hands. Like I don't need a backstory on that. But uh, other than that, you know, I, I liked what I saw so far. I'm looking forward to seeing the full movie as a whole. And uh, uh, like I said, I have a, a write-up of what I saw and I have a write-up of my very, very brief conversation with the director. It's, it was a roundtable interview. And for people who don't know, roundtable interviews, a lot of times you only get to get like one question in because you're you're dealing with like 50 other people. And that's what happened here. So, uh, but I, I, I wrote up some other things he said to other people. So check it out, slashfilm.com. And we'll link that in the show notes. Brad. What have you been watching? Not much, but uh, I did take the time to uh, watch the Apple TV Plus documentary, Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. Uh, As you may have guessed, it's about uh, the chart-topping, Grammy-winning singer, Billie Eilish. Uh, She is um, the one who's singing the theme song for the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, which also just won a Grammy. Um, And it's a, uh, a documentary just about her rise to fame and follows her career while she's on tour and everything that comes with being so young and so successful in such a quick short period of time and while that sounds rather formulaic when it comes to you know a a music documentary like this this is one of the most like intimate personal and candid uh documentaries of this kind that i've ever seen um it's it's uh definitely on the longer side it's two hours and 20 minutes which i was like whoa geez but when you see everything that they cover it's um it doesn't really feel like it drags on too much just because it's, it's really interesting because um, she, so she writes songs with her brother and they make the music together and they've done this all from their bedroom in this very modest house uh, in Los Angeles. And their family was constantly uh, documenting like stuff that they, they did. And uh, um, her and her brother Phineas were always shooting themselves when they were creating songs uh, writing music, you know, and working on things. And so they, um, director RJ Cutler, uh, who also directed the Belushi documentary that I watched not too long ago, uh, has all of this great footage fr- from the family that he uses along with stuff that he shot while being, uh, hanging out with the family in their house, going on tour, uh, in the U S and across the country with her. And it just really dives into like just these very, um, personal moments in her life. You get to see kind of what it's like to be, someone like her and like trying to date somebody and just like the perspective she has on her music, which is, uh, you know, is known to be rather sad and somewhat depressing. And it's because, you know, she's, she writes about the things that she, she feels. And, you know, uh, again, like I'll, I'll stress that a lot of this sounds like the same stuff you hear from musicians all the time, but I was just really impressed by um, how perfectly this movie just captures such a unique perspective and really dives into uh, Billie Eilish's life and creative process uh, and all these things. And there's, you learn things about her that, I mean, I didn't know. I'm sure big fans know, but like, I didn't know that she uh, suffers from a certain, um, a form of uh, physical Tourette's where she has like certain breakouts of physical tics and stuff like that. Um, and so there's, it's just a very uh, fascinating portrait of, of Billie Eilish. So if you, if you like her music, if you just started to discover something, whatever, I would recommend watching this on Apple TV plus if you have a subscription to do so. Cool. What else have you been watching? 
Uh, along the same Apple TV Plus lines, I guess I just felt like diving into a bunch of their stuff, is I finally started watching Ted Lasso. Uh, it's taken me too long, but I keep hearing about it from all uh, so many people, and I've watched the first two episodes so far, and already I am just totally head over heels for the show. It is, like, insanely charming. Like, just how lighthearted and genuine, uh, funny, and just heartwarming the series is, is so far. Jason Sudeikis is is so good. I'm just, uh, it's it's really funny and not always in like a super laugh out loud way, but just in a way that is, um, I don't know, it, it just like really just like uh, very charming. And so uh, I'm very, I'm going to be working through it pretty quickly. I imagine I'll probably finish it by, if not by the end of this week, definitely by the end of the weekend, I think. Um, it's just really uplifting and I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing so far. So I can't wait to see uh, how the season ends. Okay. And let's move on to Ben. Ben, what have you been watching? Uh, just real quick, Brad, when I watched Ted Lasso, the moment where uh, Ted bursts back into, uh, I think it's Rebecca's office after Higgins makes that little oh my God. joke. I, the, the... <laughs> I laughed so hard. It was such a great moment. I, like that's, that's true. That's one of Sudeikis's like best comedic moments. His reaction is just so like firm and right there. He's like, oh yes, that's it. <laughs> That was the moment where I fell like fully in love with the show. I was like, I was definitely on board with it, but I was like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, holy shit, I love this show so much. <laughs> yeah, so, so good. Uh, everyone should watch Ted Lasso, even though, even if you are one of those people who like bristle at the idea of something being so popular and like overhyped, I really think the show is, is like, it's almost impossible to overhype just because it's so pure. It's so pure. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, I have been just continuing watching the Nick. I haven't really watched anything else. Um, recently I've been, you know, slowly making my way through Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think I'm on like the eighth or ninth season of that at, at this point. Um, but I just wanted to, to shout out the Nick again. Um, Chris finally convinced me, Chris and Jacob actually finally convinced me to watch the show once it came on HBO Max a couple weeks ago. And um, man, I just, I love it so much. It's so incredibly good. The show originally aired in 2014, but watching it right now, it feels like it could have been made yesterday. I mean, I guess that's a bad example because of COVID, but in terms of the the um, timeliness of the subject matter, uh, it is um, kind of like at times genuinely shocking to see how relevant some of the plot points in the show are to stuff that we're dealing with right now. Um, and man, just thinking that the show was made, you know, in like a pre-Trump era and was able to sort of foresee where we were going as a country and, and conversations that uh, that would be that would come to the forefront uh, on, on a, a grander scale in this country um, about race and uh, I mean so many things. It, it's just um, an incredible piece of television that, and I really, <laughs> I, it's no surprise that the show got buried when it was released because it it aired on Cinemax and nobody really paid attention to that as a network. Um, but um, Man, it is just, uh, it's very, very good. It's a little tough to watch, like I said last time, because of the the uh, surgery scenes and stuff. And I think they they like purposefully are, like go out of their way almost to like try to gross you out as much as possible in some of those sequences. But um, man, just uh, so, so good. The Nick is incredible. It's on HBO Max right now. I have never seen that. I've heard so many people talk about it. I'm going to have to give it a chance, but I'm, I'm kind of, I don't like those kind of more gruesome surgery things. 
There was a uh, there was an eye thing, an oh, eye related no, can... uh, surgery that happened, and I just like had to uh, like fully opt out. I just like turned my head away from the screen, which I never really do. Um, and I was like, I'm just not going to engage with this for like a scene. And normally, just, I <laughs> just, just to be clear, I don't like Ben's making this show sound like it's like a Saw movie. There are other things going on in yeah. the show oh, besides yeah. gore. Yeah. So yeah, 100. percent Like you know, the surgery stuff takes up you know I don't know three to five minutes of every hour long episode or something like that it's, it's really not uh, percentage wise it's not that much um it's just it handles that stuff in a way that um not many other shows do especially because of the period setting and so that you have this sort of like cringe factor of like oh my god they're actually doing this and then like oh wow these were the techniques they were using at this time it's, it's all like super fascinating but yes the the drama is definitely and, and the character work and all of that stuff the performances the direction from Steven Steven Soderbergh all of that is is you know at the forefront of the show and is what makes it you know, a tremendous piece of television. Um, the the other stuff is just the thing that like some people I can imagine might be like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get off this train. I can't handle this. But um, it, I, I encourage everybody to give it a shot, uh, even though I'm not sure how many people will make it all the way to the end, but you'll definitely be rewarded if you do. I've heard Cinemax has like a, a few shows that are really good, but like, I, f- I feel like no one either has Cinemax these days because they're just streaming HBO Max or people have ridden off Cinemax is because before, before, you know what, like 10 years ago, their original stuff was all like Skinamax, like sleazy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, they've had some good stuff like warrior Banshee, uh, strike back. I, I haven't seen any of these shows, but I've heard uh, quite a few things, good things about them. So I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe, maybe, maybe they're maybe, you know, in, the, in this age that we're all looking for something to binge watch, maybe, maybe there's something, there and your your Cinemax on demand, or whatever is it Cinemax Go? It's it's HBO Max. They they pour oh, it, it over. Uh, yeah, this stuff, the Nick and uh, Warrior and Banshee at least ah. over to HBO. So Max. yeah, now that everybody has HBO Max, they'll have they'll have time to see some of the Cinemax stuff. <laughs> okay, let's move on to what we've been eating. Brad, what have you been eating? Uh, found some new snacks, um, including a new candy bar um, called the Hoozy What's It, which is, I guess, what? what you would say, like, the Hoozy What's It. It's like, so you know that there's the candy bar, the, the whatchamacallit, right? Yeah. Yeah. By the, so this is a, a different one. Is this a sequel? Um, is it by the same company? <laughs> it is by the same company. I, I don't know if I would call it a sequel, but it's just, I, I guess they're just trying to capitalize on the nonsensical uh nature of you know that candy bar name and coming up with something that is a little bit different i guess i i don't know um but anyway it's uh i personally like it more than the whatchamacallit um it has a peanut butter cream layer um chocolate rice crisps it's covered in uh milk chocolate and so it's uh it's pretty thick um and uh i don't want to say chewy but it's just it's just chunky because of the the rice crispy layer and uh and the peanut butter cream, but I really liked it. Um, and so it's, it's should be out everywhere on shelves. Now I found it at Walmart near the, uh, the registers. Um, so it's, it's in a red wrapper as opposed to the, the normal beige wrapper of the whatchamacallit. So a who's what's it F- find it. And I think you'll like it. <laughs> um, also, so I'm a big fan of, uh, puppy chow or muddy buddies, whatever you want to call it. The Chex mix that's covered with peanut butter and chocolate. Um, and the, the one that is available on shelves from checks uh, isn't necessarily always as good as like homemade because when it's homemade, you usually end up getting like a, a pretty good, you know, helping of chocolate peanut butter on the cereal. And 
the Muddy Buddies that you buy, they're not necessarily quite as fulfilling when it comes to the, the covering. Um, but the, I, I tried a new version of it because they just released a Pretzel Bites version, which uh, it's little like circular pretzel nuggets that are covered in the same chocolate peanut butter with powdered sugar formula. Um, and they're pretty good. They're they're not quite as satisfying as the Chex Mix. There's something about the pretzel uh, bite itself. I don't know if it's just too tiny, so the ratio of like the, the, the pretzel to the... Um, rest of the ingredients isn't quite as satisfying as, as it is with the cereal because with the cereal it's it, you know it's hollow on the inside and so some of it seeps into the inside of it and here it's just like the you know a pretzel chunk in the center so it's not bad um but not as good as the the regular muddy buddies uh in my opinion so i got the chocolate peanut butter one and there's also a cookies and cream one but i didn't really like the cookies and cream one with the regular check cereal so i didn't go out of my way to try that one uh, and then there. Um, By the way, Brad, two... I'm I'm looking at this yeah. the wrapper for the Hoosie What's It, mm-hmm. and there's like this big name on it, Lisa M, and I'm like, oh, are they doing that thing where like Coca Cola, like you know, this one's for Peter, or what you know, like that kind of customized thing? But no, it like no, it says the candy yeah, bar she... was named by Lisa M. Yeah, she won a contest. I guess they they like asked for someone to come up with a good name for this this candy bar and uh they had like thousands tens of thousands of entries and she's the one who won that's cool does her name get to be on there for the the history of if this candy bar sticks around or is it just like the inaugural bar i don't know i yeah i'm not i'm not sure that's a good question Uh, we'll have to write (laughs) write write a very inquisitive letter to hershey to find out (laughs) um and so i also uh, tried these two uh carnation breakfast essentials essentially which you, they, they call them you know health uh nutritional drinks i guess they're, they're basically just like protein breakfast shakes um and these are flavored after fruit loops and golden grams and uh those are two cereals that i i love as a cereal fan in general and so i just wanted to try them in their liquefied milk form <laughs> um and they're they're pretty good they're since they're protein shakes they're a little bit thicker than you know, your average milk, um, definitely thicker than the cinnamon toast crunch milk that I recently talked about. Um, but they're both very good. They, uh, they have the fruit loops flavor is, um, great there as is the golden grams flavor, which actually, despite having a honey gram, you know, flavor clearly in there, it does taste, uh, pretty close to the cinnamon toast crunch milk, uh, um, as well, but both are pretty good. Um, if you happen to like those things and you don't have time to have like cereal in your car. Um, wait does, then, does it have like little chunks of like no 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 it's no no it's a purely like liquefied form it's not like a like if you got like a milkshake with cereal in it or anything like that it's it's no no cereal chunks in it okay. so you don't have if you're if you're a texture person you don't have to worry about that wait is this something you'll get again um i mean maybe it's like i i, I got them mostly just to try them and i don't have like breakfast protein shakes super often so i I I would say if you are a person who does like having protein shakes there and you like these cereal flavors, they're good for me. Like I wouldn't get them again, but not because I don't like them just because it's not part of my usual breakfast routine. Hmm. I'm I'm Um, interested in trying these out because I, you know, for a while I was doing shakes and my one problem with shakes is shakes are all catered towards like people that like love chocolate or strawberry, but like nothing else. Like that's all the shakes or peanut butter. Like those are like the three shakes you can find of anything. So I'm interested what a, a fruity pebbles shake. It actually tastes. Do you like, guys think, well Fruit Loops? Or, not fruity oh, sorry, pebbles. Fruit yeah. Loops. Well, yeah. Do, Same. Do you guys have Steak and Shake out there? Uh, yeah, not not close by, but yeah. Okay, because yeah, because Steak and Shake sometimes has like cereal inspired milkshakes and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. Um. Oh, and then one more thing. Uh. So there's um. 
Monster has really been like expanding their um, zero sugar ultra energy drink line, and they just came out with a new flavor that was right up my alley because it's uh, it's ultra gold um, and it's it's a pineapple flavor, uh, and pineapple is um, one of my favorite fruits, and it's a flavor that I love even when it's you know a little bit more on the artificial side when it comes to candy and sodas and things like that. Uh, and this one is pretty good. It's it's almost a little too sweet uh, to the point where like it's like you're drinking uh, a pineapple Jolly Rancher, I guess you could say. Um, but I still like the flavor. I would probably like re- would probably cut it with the, by just putting it over ice instead of drinking it straight out of the can. Um, it has it's similarly sweet as the watermelon was, which also tasted kind of like a, a liquefied carbonated Jolly Rancher. Um, but yeah, Monster Ultra Gold is also out all over now as well. Okay. So that does it for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please write and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.